Okay, Matthew chapter 4, and reading verses 12 through 17. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, and as we uh, seek to understand it and apply it in our lives, may you send your Holy Spirit uh, to enable us to live it out. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this um, Tuesday, uh, Dave is going to be leading us in another uh, preparedness uh, discussion, how we can prepare for the future. I believe that it is our duty to do what we can to prepare for whatever uh, contingencies may or may not happen in the future, but I also believe that it's very important that we approach the uncertain future not with fear, but with faith, of a sound mind, with love, with a vision actually of what God can do through difficulties in our nation, through economic collapse, through tyranny. God is in control of everything, and it's very important that we uh, never allow our human responsibility, which is what the preparedness is all about, to be accompanied by fear. Instead, what we are doing is we are preparing so that we can be in a better position to minister. And so I've titled today's message, Preparing to Minister in a Hostile World. And I believe the passage I just read gives us some fantastic principles. It doesn't say everything we need to know about that, but some fantastic principles to give us perspective. Now, before we dig into this uh, passage, uh, I do want to um, tell a story that I uh, brought up, I think it was in 2005, in a uh, Christmas message. Uh, about Shackleton and uh, his explorations, uh, he um, put the following advertisement into a London newspaper. It said, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. <laughs> That's all it said. <laughs> And believe it or not, there were thousands of men who applied. They had to weed out most of them. Thousands of men who applied expecting nothing other than the honor of being associated with Shackleton. They were willing to put everything on hold, even risk their lives to be identified with him in his explorations. By the way, the first picture in your outlines is a picture of Shackleton. A pretty cool guy. If you've never read the story uh, of these people, you ought to do so. It's a very moving story. These were men uh, who captivated the hearts of a generation. Uh, men of courage, boldness, perseverance, personal sacrifice, loyalty, and love. And when you've got characteristics like that, it really transforms your preparedness to one with vision rather than preparedness that is self-absorbed and fear-driven. And that's what we, we want for this congregation. For this congregation to prepare, yes, 
but in a way that is visionary of what God can do through us rather than being self-absorbed and fear-driven. In verses 18 through 22, Christ called upon some men to be courageous witnesses uh, who would take great risk, really, in identifying with Jesus. But before he did so, he showed them what it would take to minister to a hostile world. And that's the verses we're going to look at, verses 12 through 17. The first thing that we should imitate is Christ's sensitivity to right timing. Uh, Verse 12 says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. That when may not seem very important, but it was absolutely critical. We'll be seeing in a moment it was critical that Christ leave at this point and go into the country where John had been imprisoned. This was moving into danger, but because this was God's timing for him, uh, it was the safest place to be. And we too need to be sensitive to God's timing for moves, which some of you are considering, and for purchases and ministry and for preparedness. Uh, Repeatedly through the Gospels, we have references such as, the time has come, my appointed time is near, the right time has not yet come from that time on, at the right time, etc., etc. Timing was very important for Christ, and in this case, it was the time for Jesus to leave one area of ministry and to go into another area. And we can't settle that issue of timing for other people because uh, the Lord's timing for them may be different than it is for us. Uh, This was a case where Christ dove into a very dangerous area, but there were other times that he left a dangerous area because, as he said there, my time has not yet come. And when we think of preparedness for hostility or economic issues or political tyranny, whatever it may be, it's very easy to become critical of other people because their sense of timing does not line up with our own. I think it was Ron Dotzler of Abide Ministries uh, who once came to our church. He was presenting his uh, ministries. And uh, he said, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will, even if that's in North Omaha. But if God has not called you to North Omaha, you need to realize that's a dangerous area during times of riots, right? Uh, We can't be naive. We have to understand that. It may be God's will for you to flee from the city, just as Paul fled from some dangerous cities on occasion, or it may be God's will for you to go right into a dangerous situation like Paul did at Corinth because God had guided him there as he said to Paul, no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Now, if Paul had not had that reassurance from the Lord that this is God's timing for him, he might have been plenty nervous there, but he knew it was God's timing. A man or a woman with a good sense of God's timing will not be out of balance in his or her ministry. He'll know when to say yes to ministry and when to say no to ministry uh, opportunities. And so the first issue that's important to resolve under God's timetable is sensitivity to his leading. Now, this past Tuesday, we had a a fantastic meeting, you know, at the church plant, and um, John May's... uh, 
showed a, a handout from Wayne Mack on guidance that has helped him to have confidence in his move. And he has copies, extra copies that he can give to you. But it's important to understand, what does the Bible say about guidance? And that's a good introduction to it. Now, the second issue under this first point of God's timetable is the need to be prepared and ready for when God leads us. I mean, if God says go, you better have a car and you better have gas in the tank and you better know that you're going to have food and have preparations for a job and different things like that. But the issue of preparedness deals with many things. It's not just preparing for economic collapse. If God led our congregation to minister during a disaster such as a tornado, uh, would we be ready physically and emotionally to be able to minister to them? Do, if we ran across a car accident, even today when we're going home, would we be able to minister to the people who are hurt in that car accident? Or do you not even have first aid kits? Or if you do have first aid kits, do you have any clue on what to do with them? You know, the Good Samaritan had a first aid kit. It wasn't maybe up to our standards, but it was a first aid kit, and he knew how to use it uh, back in his day. He was prepared. This passage highlights Christ's readiness to immediately move when it was God's timetable. And unfortunately, there are unbelievers who have showed themselves much more ready to drop everything at a moment's notice for a cause than we many times are for the Lord. Let me read you a, a short account of Shackleton's advertisement for his last exploration. So Shackleton was seated in an office in London speaking to a friend about his forthcoming expedition. The friend said, I'm surprised at the publicity you're giving to your new venture. It is rather unlike you. And Shackleton replied, I have a purpose in doing so. I want my colleague, Mr. Wilde, to hear about my plans. He has buried himself in the heart of Africa, and he has left no address. But I thought that if he heard the news, if the news uh, might filter into the very center of Africa, and if Wilde knows I am going, he will come. They both turned, and standing in the doorway was Mr. Wilde. It was a dramatic moment as Wilde and Shackleton shook hands, the handshake of loyalty. I heard you were going, said Wilde. The news found its way into the heart of Africa when I knew I dropped my gun, picked up a big baggage, and made my way straight home. And here I am. What are your orders? Would you do that for Jesus Christ? Okay. Uh, can you think of times when you have dropped your very, very, very good agenda for Christ's better agenda? You know, there, there is this trade-off. We can't do everything at the same time, right? So sometimes we have to drop good agendas so that we can take on Christ's better agenda for us. Are you willing to face discomfort, inconvenience, and danger for the honor of being used by God in a crisis situation? That's the kind of loyalty that God calls for. And I'm convinced that God will use Christians in this city uh, to minister even during tough times, just like he will call some people out of the city to minister elsewhere. Uh, can I guarantee that there will be tough times in the future? No, absolutely not. But based on the moral state of our nation, I am convinced it is coming. I am convinced that it is coming. We want to be prepared to answer yes to Jesus immediately rather than having to frantically scramble. Now, if you look at your... Um, uh, outline, the insert, um, 
I took uh, from the Salt Plan book, uh, and if you guys don't have that, we might have some extra copies. It's a fantastic book that gives you a biblical worldview of what it means to have godly preparedness. But there's a screenshot there of a photo in that book of a farm that was completely surrounded by water, but no water was touching the farmhouse itself because that farmer had the foresight to put berms around the house just in case there was a future flood, okay? And so that foresight meant that the farmer didn't have to frantically scramble for himself when the flood came. Instead, his time was freed up to be able to minister to others with sandbags and helping people to evacuate. And uh, I would encourage you to have that image for preparedness burned into your mind. It illustrates preparedness for the sake of ministry. And it showcases all of the points in this sermon, especially the confidence that the farmer was able to have. And so under the general point of God's timing, it requires God's leading, and it requires preparing for God's leading. Both are important. But there is a second major issue that we need to put on, and it's the issue of boldness. Christ was very bold in the face of God's enemies because he knew he was right where God wanted him to be. Verse 12 says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. Now, on first reading, you might get the impression, oh, he heard that John was put in prison. He's, you know, getting out of Dodge, so to speak. No, no, he did the exact opposite. He didn't get out of Dodge. He went right to the place where John was put into prison. Uh, that was uh, Herod Antipas's uh, region. The queue to go to Galilee was, according to prophecy, Galilee was not to be without a witness during this uh, period of time. Now, John had been witnessing there for most of the past 18 months. Now Christ takes over, and there is not a shred of timidity, none whatsoever. And Luke 4 gives us another clue as to why there was no timidity. Uh, Luke tells us, then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. When you are filled with God's Holy Spirit, He gives you a sound mind. He takes away fear. He enables you to minister. Now, the danger of Galilee can also be seen in the fact that verses 15 through 16 call it a place of spiritual darkness, and it was very, very dark, and a place of Gentile domination, and it was. Christ did indeed, at various points in his ministry, leave certain hostile uh, areas at times, but it was not because he was a coward. Christ was bold in facing the world, and we need men and women of courage today. People who will not shrink from witness simply because there's danger in witnessing or there's shame uh, in, in witnessing. There are multitudes who prefer comfort and security but I'll tell you, lasting honor and glory comes to those who are willing to be spiritual Shackletons. Now, the Shackletons had to prepare as well, didn't they? They were going into danger, but they prepared for it. Uh, they were prepared. It's not preparation or no preparation. It's about our attitude as we prepare. These disciples were willing to obey Christ's call to be fishers of men, which was a very dangerous move. Are you willing to witness or has the increasing hostility of our woke cancel culture made you close your mouth because you don't want to get canceled? I think it's a question we need to, to ask ourselves. Where is God's spirit-inspired boldness within us? They were willing to minister to the outcast. Are we? 
They were willing to be bold in what God called them to do. What about you? I think boldness is a prerequisite to properly preparing for America's uncertain future. Otherwise, preparedness is just going to reinforce your fears. And unfortunately, many of the books out there just uh, that deal with preparedness, man, they, they make everybody frightened. They reinforce fear that we ought not to approach preparedness with fear. A third characteristic of Christ that made him great in ministry was that he was able to relinquish ministries. Now, that may seem very weird to you. That, that's, uh, that's a great thing, being able to relinquish ministries. Did Jesus really do that? Yeah, he did it a lot, actually. Uh, for example, there were people that uh, wanted to be healed that Jesus refused to heal, like Acts 3, the lame man that was there. And if you read Acts 3 closely, you will see that he had been laid at the temple every day of his life. And so it had to be that Jesus walked by that lame man many, many, many times going to the temple, and yet he did not heal him. Why? Here is a need. Jesus can meet that need. Why does he not do it? It's because he was led by the Holy Spirit. It was not God's will for him to heal that lame man. It was God's will for Peter to heal that lame man. There was a strategic timing for everything in Christ's ministry. All the people that were later ministered to by the apostles in Israel were previously passed by. And if you look at verse 12, you're going to see another relinquishing of a ministry by Jesus. This is a very important point because many people feel guilty relinquishing ministries. Verse 12 tells us that he departed from Judea. He departed. And there is an enormous amount of ministry that is left out of the Matthew record. Uh, and it occurs between verses 11 and 12. In fact, all of John chapters 2 through 4 occurs between those two verses. And if you really understand what was going on in John chapters 2 through 4, there was awesome ministry that was happening in Judea. Why would he leave at a time when he's becoming so popular and his ministry is expanding so well? Why would he leave? This highlights why it is so important to be serving God rather than our ministries. We can get caught up in our ministries and forget the Lord who's led us into that ministry. God sometimes calls us to relinquish good ministries that are popular and effective, and we have to trust Him. Some of you are going to feel a huge loss at people going to the church plant in Iowa, and we'll all feel a loss from these people. We love them. But trust that God sometimes has people relinquish one ministry in order to go into another ministry. That's really what happened with Elder uh, Rodney Swab. We find that in this passage that God had reasons for moving Jesus on to something else. Let's look at those reasons. First of all, it was a prophesied move according to verses 14 through 16. So Jesus was being sensitive to God's will as revealed in the Bible. Let's read those verses. It says, he departed that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Now, as already mentioned, Luke 4 adds that the Holy Spirit had led him to do this. It was also a time when the people of Galilee were in desperate need of leadership because John had been put in prison. 
Uh, their main leader had been taken out. But the parallel account in John 4, verse 4, shows that this was also needed because God had now prepared the hearts of the Samaritans to receive the gospel. These are all different forms of guidance that we can easily skip over. Let, let me outline those for you again. There's the objective word of God. That's the foundation for all guidance, right? Any guidance that contradicts the word of God, eh, it's not guidance from the Lord. So there's the objective word of God. There's the Holy Spirit's subjective leading. Third, there is divine providence. Fourth, there is a burden that the Lord places upon your heart for some need. And then fifth, God gives you open doors. I mean, God continues to guide his people through those five ways today. So God had his purposes in Christ relinquishing the ministry in Judea, but it may have seen outwardly like a foolish move by the disciples. People don't always understand a person relinquishing one ministry to serve in another. But if God is truly guiding them, then they are in the center of God's will. Now, sadly, even some ministers do not recognize the need to move on. And I'm not talking about leaving a church. I'm talking about leaving a ministry within a church. Sometimes we get so tied into a routine of a particular ministry or a non-ministry that we can't leave it when its usefulness is done. Why? I believe it's because we're serving the ministry rather than serving the Lord through that ministry. Once a committee or a ministry in a church is started, Man, it is almost impossible in many churches to kill that ministry. It's a sacred cow like in India. You don't dare kill that. No, this has been here for 30 years. We're not going to stop doing that. Now, I think, honestly, our church has been fairly good at relinquishing ministries when it's God's timing for that. Um, the Providential History Festival was a very loved ministry to the broader community, and some of you miss that very, very much. But, you know, as the leadership looked at several lines of the Lord's guidance, including many in the church being burned out, <laughs> that's a pretty important one. Uh, but as we looked at all of these lines, it was imperative that we uh, stop this ministry at the time that we did. I believe that the leadership was guided by the Lord in that. It was not a sacred cow. Um, another awesome ministry that served a purpose for a time and then was ended when that purpose had been fulfilled was heritage builders. Now, I loved heritage builders. It was an awesome way, uh, in a family-integrated way, where the skills of one generation were being passed on to the next generation in a family-integrated way. It was awesome. Um, another ministry that we stopped was the hospitality and evangelism ministry uh, in the dormitories of the international students at UNO campus. You know, sometimes stopping a ministry is painful. That was one of the most painful ministries for me to submit to God's leading on because I considered it to be the most significant and successful of ministries that our church has ever launched. And yet as we looked at all of the converging lines of the Lord's guidance, it was imperative that we stop that, okay? Um, we need to be sensitive to his guidance. Uh, Glenn Durham told me the story about a young lady uh, and you've maybe heard this story before, too, who cut her ham in half before she put it into the oven. And when asked why she did that, she says, well, I don't know, my mom did that way. And they asked her mom why she did it. She says, well, Grandma trained me to do that way. And when they asked Grandma, she said, you silly girls, I cut the ham in half because I didn't have a big enough pan to cook it in. 
okay? We need to be men and women who examine our ministries and ask, Lord, do we continue on in this? Yes, you guided us into this ministry, but why are we doing it? And why would we not be doing it? We've got to constantly be evaluating ministries and not just assume they're forever. Because churches can wear themselves out satisfying the needs of our consumer-oriented society. We must be sensitive to the Lord's leading. And this is especially true in the area of preparedness. Some people get way too consumed by preparedness. They go way overboard as if they're going to live a lifetime after the apocalypse or something like that. And then there's others who have been so burned in the past, they're never going to prepare again. You know, I think there's a biblical balance, and God's leading can help us. A fourth lesson that we can learn from Christ is that he was able to handle rejection and scorn and mocking. Verse 13 says, in leaving Nazareth, and we'll look in a, in, in a sec at why he left Nazareth, but it says, leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. I want you to turn to Luke 4, and we'll look at why uh, he left Nazareth. This is Luke 4, verses 16 through 30. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord." Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country." Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. None of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, uh, he went his way. So Jesus was rejected. He faced anger and scorn of the people of his own town. Many people will give up a ministry for the wrong reason. They give it up because they're rejected. It has nothing to do with the Lord's leading. They give it up because they were rejected. Many a person has become discouraged over rejection. You know, they're witnessing at the abortion clinic week after week, month after month, year after year. Now, there is a time to leave. Jesus even talked about dusting the dust off your shoes and moving on to another area. And there's a time to persevere in, in going back. But here's the point. Christ was not discouraged over rejection. We should expect rejection. 
Uh, he took it in stride, and he was faithful to continue ministering. Now, what does this have to do with preparedness? Uh, well, during a time of crisis, many people are asking the wrong questions, and they're looking for the wrong answers. You may have the right answers. Uh, you may have the important answers, and uh, they're not willing to listen. Well, you need to be able to handle their rejection. You're trying to get them to prepare because you're worried about them, and uh, they give you pushback. You know, you just need to trust God on that, and don't let their uh, negativity remove your zeal. Some may actually mock you for preparing. Forget about the approval of others. Okay, you don't even need to criticize them. They may have their reasons uh, that, and that they're imposing on you, but they stand accountable to God, not to you. We should not criticize each other. You do what God has called you to do. Now, it sure doesn't hurt to reevaluate whether what we're doing is extreme or wrong, because sometimes criticism comes because we're wrong, right? But this brings up the fifth point. Christ gained confidence from knowing God's Word. We must be Word-driven. The preparedness movement has way too many humanistic thinkers. We must be Word-driven. We can't even allow our present circumstances, which are pretty good, we cannot allow our present circumstances to demotivate us from preparing. When God's Word, which is our only infallible guide that we have, speaks of our nation deserving judgments, then we need to take that seriously. We need to prepare for judgments, right? If God relents from His judgments, well, praise the Lord. You know, we're going to be that much further ahead because if we are preparing right, some of the preparedness books out there are ridiculous. You'd never use what you prepared for. If we're preparing right, we're still going to be in a great uh, situation. It'll always be useful. Too many people's preparations are not a part of normal biblical living. Now, in the case of Jesus, it didn't matter what the immediate circumstances pointed to. He based his actions on the Word of God. Future-oriented people are not driven by present circumstances. They wouldn't prepare for the future if they were. And so these verses show three aspects to his confidence. Verse 14 shows that he had confidence in what his duty was by looking to the Word of God. He left Judea, it says, that he might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, and then all five regions of Galilee are outlined here, land of Zebulun, that would be north-central Galilee, the land of Naphtali, which is the south-central region, the way of the sea, that's west Galilee, uh, beyond the Jordan, that's northeast Galilee, and then Galilee of the Gentiles, which would be the northernmost uh, tip. So you could not get a more explicit outline of what the Bible prophesied that Jesus must do when he left Judea. He had to go all throughout the region of Galilee. Didn't matter how dangerous Herod Antipas might appear to be, Christ had confidence in going there because God's Word commanded him to go there. And when God's Word commands us to do things, we can do so with boldness, even if it means we're called into a dangerous city. Even if it means, in the case of Rodney and Tabitha, they're called to the land of the fruits and the nuts, you know, the statist uh, uh, nation up there. But secondly, verse 16 shows that the same Scripture gave him confidence in the power of God's grace and the success of his ministry. Galilee was notorious for being pagan and unfit for worship. If there was any circumstance that could have sapped them of confidence, it would be Galilee. But the darkness of Galilee was no match for the light of Christ. 
Verse 16 says, The people who sat in darkness saw a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. So Christ's light can pierce through the toughest spots that are out there. And when you study the doctrine of sovereign grace, you realize no heart is too much of a match for God's grace. No one's. It gives you confidence in evangelism. Uh, Nothing is too tough for God's grace to conquer. And we need men and women who are confident in the ability of God's grace to transform men and societies, whether it's a big city like Omaha or a small town like Red Oak. I'm confident God can use us, continue to use us in the city. Uh, And we are confident that God can transform, uh, what what county is it? Montgomery County, Iowa, you know, using his people in that uh, place. People might say that church ministry in either place is a futile cause because it's tough to break into small towns, right? Uh, They they think uh, either place is a futile cause, but confidence in the power of God's grace enables us to trust him and to obey him by taking action. And the taking action part is preparing for ministry in either place. And, And by the way, preparedness is not just the five G's. You know what the five G's are, right? God, guns, gold, groceries, and gas. <laughs> but it's not just about the five G's. Biblical preparedness means repentance and preparing our hearts to be facing the future properly and preparing our family for whatever changes God is calling us to. It involves looking for alternative jobs, alternative living quarters, networking with other people, and all of these things We need to have confidence that God's grace and power can provide for us as we do our duty, whether God's calling us to stay or is calling us to move. The third thing that gave Christ confidence in this ministry was the nearness of the kingdom. All of prophecy shows the irresistible growth of Christ's kingdom uh, once it is established. And all that is needed after Christ's resurrection is for a beachhead in a county and you've automatically got spiritual warfare going in that county. Why? Because your angels have been accompanying you into that county, which means we got spiritual warfare happening over Omaha right now. We've got spiritual warfare happening over Red Oak and Stanton and other places uh, in Iowa. In any case, Christ was confident that the kingdom would shortly come. In verse 17, he says, For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, Verses uh, 15 through 18 are a quote from Isaiah 9, which prophesies, by the way, not only judgment that would come upon uh, Israel when it rejects Christ's message, but also the acceptance of the message by the Gentile. And that's the famous passage that goes on to say, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from that day forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. He's guaranteeing it. And then Isaiah says, he will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. Now, when we do not look at circumstances the way Jesus did, we are easily discouraged. We are easily ready to give up. Christ gained his confidence from where? God, not from his circumstances 
but from the promises of a God who cannot lie. So don't go into preparedness saturating yourself in humanistic books that scare the daylights out of Christians. Go into preparedness with the Word of God undergirding all of your thinking. Uh, Christ was fulfilling a kingdom prophecy, and so verse 17 says, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I won't get into the eschatology of this, but it's obvious the kingdom was being established. There are, by the way, some people who just insist the kingdom was not established in the first century, and they say, oh, no, 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 it's not the kingdom in principle that came or was at hand. Jesus represents the kingdom, and Jesus was near. I'm thinking, if it meant that, he would not say the, king, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He'd say the kingdom of heaven is here because I'm here, right? But he doesn't say that. He says it's at hand. It's not here yet, but it's at hand, which means two years from now at his resurrection, it's going to be established. Anyway, prophecy can uh, make Christians very, very confident and um, certainly our post-millennial perspective on life makes us not worry about how dark times are out there because he has guaranteed the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, while some predictions that futurologists, you know, futurist books give about the future of America can be scary, I'm actually personally very excited about the future. Very excited. Uh, it doesn't matter what problems the Lord brings, economic collapses, uh, you know, breakup of the nation. I, I don't care what happens. I know lo- the Lord knows how to defang the humanists. He knows how to defund them. He knows, and we should not worry about idols falling and toppling. We should rejoice when we see idols toppling. It's one of the reasons why I'm preparing for the future with excitement and vision and anticipation. We want to be ready to pick up the pieces. So we should rejoice if 90% of the federal agencies get shut down. Hallelujah. We should rejoice if the Federal Reserve gets uh, shut down. That is not a problem. It, It will cause, actually, problems for us. But if we're in the center of God's will, He can provide for us. And we should pray that idols would topple. But we should also prepare. Now next, Christ gave an authoritative message. When our message to the world does not carry a thus saith the Lord... It loses its impact. Our modern woke culture that sees no absolutes desperately needs an authoritative message that shows that God does indeed speak with absolute truth. There is an anchor for our anchorless society. There is a strong foundation for a society that really, when you look at the literature out there that's being promoted, they're lost in a sea of meaninglessness. And notice that Jesus gave this message without any apologies whatsoever. He was not embarrassed. We need men and women who will not apologize for what God's Word has to say. And especially during times of crisis, people long for something secure and certain that they can hang on to. And our message needs to be the same as Christ's. Without apology, without shame, what did Jesus preach? Repent. Right? That's a tough word. He says, repent. Verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent. Repentance is not a popular message when everything's going well. But I'm convinced because we have lost the opportunities to repent in our nation, the Lord is going to be bringing tough times to prepare people to repent. And Americans, um, American Christians need to be there to pick up the pieces. 
If we aren't prepared like that farmer in the picture, we're going to be scrambling for our own needs and we'll be in no position to preach such a message or to provide answers to those who are seeking. And his message of absolute certainty was a refreshing change to the doubt and constantly changing opinions of the rabbis. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There was a certainty about his message because it was based upon the word of God. In contrast, there is such confusion in the message that's going out of most churches out there that many people don't even believe repentance is a part of the gospel. They for sure don't believe that the kingdom of God or of Christ has come. They're still waiting for it. We must give a clear and certain and unambiguous message that repentance is necessary. It's essential and that the kingdom of God has come with power and it's been growing nonstop since the time of the apostles. And right now, nations are being faced with only two choices, not third choices, two choices, kiss the son or perish in his anger. We've got to believe those are the only two choices before us. It's not, oh, things will continue forever. Kiss the son or perish. Many of those who oppose preparedness are skeptical that our nation needs a message of repentance. They don't see the urgency of America avoiding God's judgment through repentance. But those of us who do both prepare and trust God, the God who orchestrates providence. This is not a time to fear. This is a time to advance and offer solutions that the world cannot offer. Christ was a person who stood tall like Shackleton, actually, way, way, way taller than Shackleton. That's offensive to him to even compare him. Much taller. And he calls us to imitate him. And we think, well, how can I? And people thought back then, I can't imitate Shackleton. Well, you probably can't. Uh, and how can we imitate Christ? In ourselves, we can't, but he doesn't make us do it in ourselves. He says, I will make you fishers of men. He promises his grace, his word, anything else that we need to become men and women of boldness with a keen sense of timing as we are led by the Lord with a willingness to begin ministries that are needed for the moment and to drop ministries that are no longer needed. He will enable us to face rejection and to find confidence in his word. And he alone can enable us to speak with authority and power. May we all prepare ourselves to be ready to minister in a hostile world. Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you give us solutions for life, but you also call us to anticipate the future. We don't know the future, only you do. But help us, Father, to plan for potentials, for contingencies based upon the promises that you have given us in your word. I pray that you would remove all fear uh, from the congregation, any humanistic ideas that may have crept in, and enable us, Father, to not go to the other extreme and fail to prepare as you call us to in your scripture. Bless this, your people, Father. May we be a light set on a hill, whether it's the portion that's going to Iowa or the portion staying here. We just ask, Father, that your grace uh, would be richly evident in us. May we drink so deeply of your living waters that out of our innermost being would flow rivers of living water. May we not cast fear amongst others, but may we actually uh, bring boldness and uh, courage and uh, a sound mind in our discussions with each other. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.